Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. My name is Adrian Casada. I am in Austin, Texas, and I'm trying to get better at my art form. Would you consider yourself a songwriter first, a multi-instrumentalist first? I would consider myself a producer first. Because I know you uh, you grew up you know, on the border between Mexico and the United States, and you put out this amazing um, Boleros Psychedelicos uh, this year. You actually have two albums that are coming out in the same year. Between that and the Jaguar sound, which is coming, do you feel like it is telling your entire story, like your almost multiple personalities in, in two records? Not really, but close. I, I would say that, that these two are uh, are fairly representative of, of kind of my cultural story and my influences and and where my head is at musically but you know by no means um is it all inclusive i definitely am am pretty i've been pretty obsessed with art and music for all my life so i you know there's still a million records i want to make that i haven't made Hey again, everybody. You're listening to the show on the road, the place where sonic explorers and audio adventurers come to meet their new favorite artists, their new favorite songwriters, band leaders, people that maybe have flown under the radar. And that's my job, to bring you new sounds that will change your life. And what my guest this week, Adrian Casada, is doing is creating something that maybe you didn't know you need a soundtrack to the movie that's going on right behind your eyelids. And what he's doing, creating beats and creating sonic tapestries with the group Black Pumas and with his solo work, with his Spanish language work, it is really remarkable and I can't wait for you to hear his music. Because you know what? Music is the soundtrack to our days and our nights. And we do not appreciate the people making the music like we should. Well, you may say, Zach, of course you're going to say that. Uh, You're in a band that tours around. You want people to buy that music to support artists. Well, yeah, this is how artists and dads like me make a living. And uh, Spotify is still paying their artists 0.003 to 0.005 cents per stream. Thousand streams, you make four bucks. It's not enough. We need to change the system itself. If you really want to support an artist that you love, Go to a show in person, tell a friend, get some of their records online. It really helps. Dust Bowl Revival at the Venice West in L.A., December 18th. Okay, without further ado, here's Adrian Casada. And obviously, uh, a lot of folks first heard about you when Black Pumas went through the stratosphere um, these last few years. It's got to be kind of crazy when a, when a project like that, which, you know, could be just a one-off in a way, 
almost takes over your whole life. Um, I mean, you guys are the theme of the World Series. It's like this song, All My Colors, right? Can fit into all these different places in American culture. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's baseball fandom. It's, you know, Joe Biden's inauguration song. You know, it can be all these different things. Um, what was it like seeing that song kind of just work its way throughout the culture? Uh, you know, so so that song was written by Eric, uh, my partner in Pumas over 10 years ago, which is the interesting part. But I think on one hand, it's 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 wild and kind of interesting to see how so many people put their own meaning to it. But then on the other hand, I mean, that's just like that's that's what a good song is. You know, everybody can get something out of it. And, um, you know, his his uh inspiration for writing those words and everything were was a, a little bit more abstract than i think what people are are putting um meaning to but i think that that's the cool thing about music is you can kind of get what you want out of it and we're seeing i mean that's just a when it's a, when the song is timeless you know you're seeing what we're what you're seeing now which is it works for sports it works for uh inauguration it works for you uniting people it works for inspiring people there been a really awkward commercial pitch that people have been trying to get that song in like for diapers or something <laughs> not that they, they probably uh i think the threshold for what reaches my ears and our ears uh is probably uh fairly low so i don't know that they, that anything like that has made it to me in particular i have i have in the past seen some uh um really kind of awkward pitches from advertising people for sure but not on that song not that i know it's like when uh, johnny cash had to turn down a million dollars i think in the 60s for preparation h to use ring of fire as their <laughs> you know forever theme song he's like i just you know i don't feel like i need that type i of got a years this was years ago but i uh, my last name is quesada which uh, a lot of people just know the word queso cheese and I, I had a like a I don't remember if it was like Velveeta or some cheese company actually wanted me to do a commercial, a whole commercial. It was a really good budget. It was one of those things where it was like, well, should I just sell myself <laughs> out like that and pay the bills for a couple of years or should I pass this, you know, turn this down? And uh, it it turned out I'm really glad I turned it down. But, yeah, it was this whole ad campaign based on like my last name with something with cheese. What did your folks do when you were growing up? Yeah, my dad had a trucking company. He uh, used to be a truck driver, and then when he when I was born, him and his 
partner in the company, uh, which were both drivers from, they worked for my uncle. They bought two or three trucks and he started a company that uh, started the year I was born. So he had a trucking company all my life. I was, you know, that's a big uh, border town industry, you know, kind of import export and trucks and custom brokers and things. And my mom had a, uh, a clothing store. She, she had a clothing store in Laredo, Texas, and her family was also somewhat uh, involved in, in custom brokering along the border. Were you listening to mostly Spanish language music as a kid or, or all sorts of stuff? No, I was not. I mean, I, on my own, no, you know, there was a, obviously growing up down there. Um, it's completely bilingual. Uh, I just read a stat that Laredo is the least diverse big city in the country. It's like 97%. Uh, um, I hate to use the word Hispanic, but Hispanic. And, uh, so I, you grow up just hearing Spanish and Spanish language radio and, and music in Spanish. But no, I mean, I was, you know, I was listening to hip hop and rock and roll and hair metal and grunge or whatever and all that. So, no, I was like by choice, not not listening to Spanish language music. It wasn't it was something I didn't really come to appreciate until I was older. Your album Jaguar Sound comes out um, mid November. There's still another month left in this year. You could put out a third album of hair metal songs. Hey man, it hasn't gone past me. That was a that was a uh, influential sound in my formative years. Who is your go to band? I mean, I, um, you know everything from Rat and like Poison and all that. But I mean, I was into the first Guns N' Roses album. That's my that's my uh, barometer for. They had big hair and they were still awesome. And that album stood the test of time. But no man, I was that was when I was uh, just starting to want to play guitar. It was around that era. Did you play electric first or acoustic? I started with acoustic. So I, my dad actually wanted me to play piano. And I was 13 or something and skateboarding. And it was like, piano was the dumbest. Like, man, I don't want, I was embarrassed to tell people I was going to play piano. And uh, it's kind of one of the regrets I have. And one of my few regrets in life is that I didn't start with piano. But I was like, I, we, he kind of pushed me for a while. And I finally compromised. I was like, well, guitar looks cool, you know. That looks a lot cooler than yeah. playing the piano. So I uh, started taking guitar lessons. But instead of signing me, you know, instead of going and learning like tablature, heavy riffs, I actually they actually put me in flamenco and classical lessons. So I did those lessons for a few years. And, uh, and I'm glad I had that background, honestly. So I started my first guitar was at a, an acoustic guitar, actually, like a classical guitar. Yeah, like one day, boleros psychedelicos. Yeah, you know, yeah. We'll come out of this. Exactly, exactly. Um, do you feel like, um, as a producer, as a songwriter, as a multi-instrumentalist that you're, um, 
almost creating movie soundtracks for movies that don't exist yet. That's what, like what I hear when I listen to a lot of your solo stuff. It's like stuff. It's like movies that are yet to be, but could exist if we wanted them to. Absolutely, man. Well, you you uh, hit it on the head. I'm I'm a uh, because I'm not a lyricist and I'm not vocals are not the first thing I I gravitate to in songs. Um, but there are certain things, you know, certain hip hop things. But I mean, really, I've always been attracted to the music behind it, and I and I always liked albums. I was uh, an only child. I was by myself a lot and had a lot of time to sit there and draw and listen. And talk. I I loved albums and how they told stories. You know, which uh, is somewhat of a, a lost art because of the you know streaming algorithm. But I used to hear them from start to finish. That's just how they were intended to be told. So I I always imagined them like little movies and. Uh, I mean that the the amazing thing about instrumental music is if you can make people visualize things without words, then that's that's kind of a powerful thing to be able to do in music. Yeah, I mean a song like "Mentiras con Cariño," you know, it's got over a million and a half streams, and it's a song that people um, are gonna hear first if they go to your you know page now, um, which is really cool. People don't realize in this country how dominant Spanish language music is in the world culture. I think I, I like to hear people's um, stories that they want to tell because I'm not the best storyteller or anything like that, you know, but there are certain things with, uh, you know, there is a poetry to, to the Spanish language that I think gets lost if you try to translate certain things to English. And, you know, we're one of the only countries that's not really like proudly bilingual, yeah. uh, you know, around the world. And, uh, I, I kind of the older I get, I find a little bit more of a responsibility to um, challenge that or just make people embrace that, that um, you know, how amazing it is to be able to speak two languages and, and how beautiful that that uh, the poetry in, in Spanish lyrics is. And, you know, it's my story is not unique by any means, but uh, I think, you know, with all the division we saw in the last four or five years, and continue to to see i think it's important to show people the the more we have in common and and how to uh be open-minded to other people's culture and and um you know whatever i can do musically to make that comfortable for people is i find myself to have having a little bit of a responsibility you know it's not like my music is gonna change the world like that but if i can you know if i can make it okay for a few people to enjoy it then it's it's my doing my part yeah, I was able to have uh, Gabby Moreno on this show um, a few years back, and, and I love the way she can kind of intersect all these different cultures in her music you know especially her record she did uh with the daptone folks mm -hmm. in new york it's like this deeply soul groove vibe but she's singing in these bolero styles yeah. and it just feels like a perfect synergy you're like why didn't we ever do this before you know absolutely man that's a great one and she's she's amazing and yeah there's like i said we have more there's more in common than you think between people I, I guess because of my upbringing I, I don't really see a lot of those divisions in things you know like it's not that big a deal to me to hear a Spanish song and then hear an English song it's not that and I mean honestly even just 
without speaking on a language uh musically like rhythmically the commonalities between rock certain rock and roll and hip-hop and soul and funk and and music from africa it's all it all it's all like the same rhythms where we're you know i mean without sounding like too cliche on like music being the universal language etc it is and and shows you how much we have in common it's just about labels and and what people choose to um uh put you know put in a box and label and 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 it just causes more divisions and i think it causes uh you know building bridges versus building walls you know there's something about that track, uh, Spirits, off uh, the new record, Jaguar Sound, that reminded me of that Gabby Moreno, Daptone collab. You, know, you have the the horns and you get that kind of flute dancing around. It's like if that brass band, uh, marching band that Beyonce used, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like got in the studio with you. You know, just like when you add the brass, it feels like something big is about to like go down, you know. Like you're again setting up this scene for some movie that doesn't exist between like a showdown is about to happen. What do you see when Spirits comes on for you? So I, uh, you know, I was in a band for a long time in a in a big um, Latin band called Grupo Fantasma, and we had a horn section. It was a, a fairly large band, over ten people most of the time. Um, fluctuating between nine and 11 or 12 people. And we had a big horn section and stuff. And I did that for, you know, I was in that band for almost 13 years. So after that, I kind of, just because I didn't want to uh, repeat, you know, what I had been doing and be, uh, to a certain extent, you know, there's a lot of music now, or there was, you know, particularly starting more years ago, but a lot of these like kind of revival bands that were bringing back these old sounds and stuff, and they yeah. all had horn sections. So I kind of had originally had this aversion coming from Grupo Fantasma. I mean, horns are amazing. It's it's incredible to I was lucky to work with that horn section forever and ever. Uh, but I just kind of needed to to step away from that and not be kept in that box. So so I, I had like an aversion to it at first, but when I was working on a Jaguar sound, I needed some melodic content and that one is just so epic like you said it just feels like you're about to march into some some battle or something and that's when you know that's when horns definitely come in uh and just elevate things make everything super epic and cinematic so yeah my friends uh from a band called ikebe shakedown and my friend who are in new york city also affiliated with the daptone circle and my friend martin perna who plays flute i did a project with him back in the day also from the daptone camp so definitely has a little connection to that world they uh you know that was that album was being done when everybody was fully actually quarantined this was like april 2020 when we were right wiping down groceries and like not leaving the house and so it was just whoever whoever um had a recording set up at home or was able to get into a studio uh i was just staying in touch with all my friends that would do that and we were all collaborating on stuff it was kind of an awesome time you know it was all just out of necessity It is weird to say that 
I think we might look back at parts of 2020 years from now, obviously, if you didn't lose someone, you know, but we might look back at it as this sort of almost nostalgic, like warm togetherness time, you know, where you could kind of have the pressure off where it's like, well, you know what? We don't even know if we're going to make it through this year as a society, but like, let's make some new music that we've never tried before, you know, in ways that we've never tried before. Um, and I think a lot of amazing art has come out of that. What was your experience during the darkest times there? Were you sort of locked in in Austin or where where were you set up? Yeah, yeah, definitely in Austin. Luckily, my my studio was at home at that time. I moved out um, into a, a bigger space, you know, about midway through 2020. But I was at home and luckily I had a studio there, you know, people where everybody was picking up hobbies and making bread and whatever. And I was just making jams. I would just stay up all night long. All of a sudden I didn't have to wake up at any time to no obligations. You know, all my calendar was completely cleared. And I, I was so inspired the first couple of months. I was just like completely on fire every night, knocking out stuff. And then I hit a wall all of a sudden. Um, I remember reading about, you know, Shakespeare had written all his, a lot of his best works during a quarantine period. Yeah. And then I read this other article that was kind of a rebuttal, like, well, we can't all, you know, expect to be super inspired during this time because it's a really dark time. And it also puts some context to it. He also had, you know, all these wealthy sponsors and donors and his yeah. bills were all paid. And uh, but then uh, so I kind of hit this like dark point where all of a sudden, you know, we all start questioning, is this the end of the world? Is this how we die all in isolation is this what's, what's going to happen are we going to get COVID and all that you know it's like um is the world just going to become extinct during this year and and then I found that I actually turned back to working on music because that's kind of what was getting me through it you know right. I started from with this like being on fire and super excited and having fun with it to like man I needed that escape to process kind of what was happening at that time it got kind of intense there mid-year you know it's funny because Obviously, the song is much before the pandemic reared its head. But when I was re-listening to Black Moon Rising, it feels like something that could have hearkened that time. You know, this this ominous thing is, is rising in, in the East. And we're all kind of like shaking, trying to figure out what is about to happen. Um, that that song, though, it, it again, it feels like you're you're creating something. It's like a sound in that sort of deep soul meets spaghetti western vibes you know like there's this that that echo you have on on the, on the guitar amp where it feels like you're referencing the italian morricone scores which i know you love um did the black pumas project like create a new genre or something like do you feel like you you created something in that that you didn't even expect I, I think we created a, a unique sound. You know, there were people like like you mentioned Daptone and, you know, everything that the Daptone uh, label did and a lot of other artists who broke down the doors and made it uh, to where people wanted to listen to soul music again that wasn't, you know, super modern R&B that it had a more, more timeless feel to it. So there were a lot of people that, that opened a lot of doors for that. But... I think we came up with a pretty unique sound. You know, I don't know that it's it's a, a genre or that other people are are uh, following that lead, but yeah, I mean, it sounds it sounds like when you hear a Black Pumas song, it sounds like Black Pumas for sure. Yeah, I 
track rise of the have-nots on the new record um if we're going into that theme of of you creating these cinematic moments uh, of of something that maybe doesn't exist i felt like that was like an animation like i'm like a miyazaki you know like there's i heard like a i saw like a spider or something you know like there's this sort of creeping and then stabbing um you know the drums and yet the bass has like a steely dan vibe for me Am I wrong? Well, you know, Miyazaki and Steely Dan coming together somehow. I uh, have not been the a big fan of Steely Dan, not because I'm not a fan, just I just have not listened to a lot of Steely Dan. But I, you know, those musicians, all the people that played on those albums, uh, were I'm fans of and other stuff. So, but yeah, the animation kind of thing was definitely something I imagined for that whole album. the visuals and everything that that's going to be coming out in some of these like little vi- visualizer videos and stuff is all inspired by weird. Uh, a lot of it was, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the, uh, it was this French movie from the early seventies that had this awesome soundtrack. It was called fantastic planet. Mm. Um, kind of just weird, trippy early seventies, uh, animations, you know, were definitely a big part of it. I definitely imagined a lot of that. could collaborate uh with a hip-hop producer or an artist living or dead who would it be just one (laughs) okay maybe a couple maybe it's like a whole Um, squad to make it easy and practical i would say beck would be one that i think was a big uh influence on me and kind of at the intersection of a lot of stuff that i liked uh you know from he was doing everything from kind of like hip hop influence music to weird weirdo kind of like folk music to R&B to rock and roll. He was an artist. And I just heard a whole um so podcast where he kind of like narrates his his own story and pretty fascinating. So I would say he was he's one that seems a little like a practical answer, you know. I could say my super group of um George Harrison and and you know whatever but i uh, i think that's a practical good answer for you maybe a little tribe called quest of mixed course. in yeah yeah i mean i'd put together a large super group did that touring uh whirlwind i would say that black pumas got swept in on was it exhausting was it exhilarating like was oh, it relentless both, mostly mostly exhilarating uh and re- all those words are all good uh it was it like was kind of rejuvenating in a way to you know i had been trying to get off the road and be 
more in the studio and be more at home and everything. And, and you know, being on tour with Pumas was was super inspiring. Uh, that the band was amazing. Uh, uh, obviously Eric as a, as a front man. So those fir- right away, it was like, Oh wow, this is kind of another level of, of, uh, performing and being on stage and touring, you know, in the early days where it kind of inspired me again to, to actually embrace it, you know? And I remember talking to a couple of people, a couple of, uh, people who've been around in the industry for a long time. And, you know, I heard everything from somebody who said, uh, you know, to being able to do that is a gift. It's a blessing to be able to go and, can't complain about the the fact that you're traveling around the world and people are coming to see you play and you know you don't know if you're ever going to get that that chance again and you know that was definitely the dream when i was a kid was looking at mtv and seeing rock stars on stage and all that so that was right what i wanted to do but then you know real life sets in as you get older and have kids and a family it's kind of hard to balance both but it was i would say overall exhilarating for sure it was it was it was quite amazing to see how fast the touring took off and then and then also went away during the pandemic well considering that you know you guys got your kind of base started at uh sea boys heart and soul you know in congress there in austin which is a tiny little club you know um the juxtaposition from playing these intimate shows to you know playing the biggest venues in the world i mean it's it's got to be almost like a whiplash situation yeah, it happened so, you know, everything was moving so fast that we just never really had a chance to... The pandemic gave us the first a bit of perspective to kind of soak it all in, you know, because I think in a way that was really good for us because, you know, again, we were at, like you said, we were at Sea Boys and then all of a sudden we were hitting the road and the crowds were just doubling and tripling every time we went back somewhere. But then uh, we ne- we just never had a t- chance to pause. It was like we were just constantly on the road and and then the pandemic was a good time for perspective, you know, and then we started doing live streams and whatnot. And it was the first time that, you know, like I said, most people who who I've done music with know that I'm kind of a studio rat and a homebody. Mm-hmm. And after doing a bunch of live streams and whatnot, I was like, man, this is just not the same. It's not. And then the first time we got to play to people, was such a rush and i remembered what again just like what a blessing it is to be able to do that and gave me such good perspective on it you know i'll never take touring for granted again for those of you who are uh busking in the street maybe down at the santa monica pier like eric was doing you too can make the big time if you just keep Mm -hmm. going i mean it's it's a crazy story i mean how you guys were connected um is eric um itching to kind of get back out there or is or is he okay with the hiatus um i don't even kind of have to ask him he uh I, you know i know he he loves performing and he loves being out there so the moment that you realized that that project was going to be bigger than anything you could have imagined like what was that was it like standing on which stage where you're like how is this possible a lot of things happened so fast that I don't remember an exact moment, but I do remember the feeling of our first show at Sea Boys. I remember stepping off stage and being like, "Wow, okay, this is uh, this is this is special for sure." I remember sitting down with for lunch with Eric around that time and asking him, "Like, are you?" Because you know we weren't really a band; we just came up with a name and played some shows. And I asked him if he uh, 
was down, you know, to move forward with it. Cause I'm like, this is going to happen really fast and happen even faster than you can imagine. When a band like that starts to spread among other bands, right? I remember our group Dust Bowl Revival, um, that song Fire came on. Like it was like passed around like a you know, like a trading card, you know. <laughs> like there's something something here. Like we have to we have to do something like this, you know. Yeah. Like it yeah, was yeah. it was something that you could hear trickling to the surface um accidentally, you know, St. Paul and the Broken Bones. This idea of yeah, like a a, a lost soul R and B movement that was now coming from these younger folks. Um, the thing that I I would love to see eventually is like having the Black Pumas like at the Hollywood Bowl with like a full orchestra, you know, because you could hear the string sections that you put in sometimes, you know, maybe sampled or not, you know, these cinematic moments. Like I'd love to see a fireworks show. And the L.A. Philharmonic behind the Black Pumas. Just one time. Just one time. It'd be cool. have something that you're working on now um that is a totally different sound that we haven't heard yet always and uh just right before i got on with you um yeah working on on new music now i'm always uh trying to i'm always juggling four or five thing cooking on you know four burners and and then once one starts to kind of come into focus a little bit i'll kind of turn down the other ones and, and hone in on that but yeah i'm definitely working right now with uh revisiting more of you know when i started to get into recording and i started with uh, samplers actually like when i was in college I, I bought an mpc 2000 and a sequencer sampler and was doing a lot of that but in the last you know 10 years or so i was really embracing trying to get drums to sound like you know they were the drums that were being sampled so you know like you mentioned the pumas record and sample there was no there were no samples we did that everything was um recorded live and i mean not all live at once but uh, everything was live instruments and i got really into making drums sound like the drums i used to like to sample and now i'm mm. just fully i'm at a point where i'm fully embracing and kind of best of both worlds and and playing with more sound manipulation i i it was a, a lot of the like the boletos album the jaguar sound pumas record are all something that you can interpret live naturally and it would have it would feel supernatural with a band very very natural not supernatural not of <laughs> not a uh, ghostly and and it could be performed live and it all sounds live it all sounds like real instruments and right now i'm kind of messing with with uh, the idea of just more sound manipulation and not worrying so much about how do you perform this live you know which i'm sure is not something management wants my manager wants to hear is that i'm complicating yeah. complicating things even further but uh that's what that's what i'm working on musically right now 
the track Noble Metals on the new record, I was trying to count how many synth tones I heard. It was almost like four or five different keyboard sounds going on, you know, and it has this sort of mystical, like a rave down in Tulum or something, you know. Um, and actually, for some reason, it reminded me of, of some of the earliest like Santana records, you know, where you have like a lot of smoke in the room, you know, and, and, and people spinning around. It just felt really groovy. Um, how did that song get created? So it started uh, during the pandemic. And like I said, those first couple of months I was making, it was really what I was doing was making a lot of hip hop beats because I was listening to so much hip hop music uh, because that's what I could do by myself. You know, it was like uh, just a good exercise. And also I could do all that alone. And then I started sending it to friends who started to bring it, the music more alive and turn them into actual songs. But uh, yeah, that, that one was pretty simple. And honestly, a lot of it is this cat, a lot of the one or two of those keyboards that you're talking about is just this little Casio keyboard that I have that I bought uh, a few years ago. And, and I try to be good about putting new instruments in front of me because there's muscle memory to to it you know as as i'm sure you know like if i pick up the same guitar every single day and try to write something uh, my brain and my muscles are so used to doing what i'm doing something that like you end up kind of doing the same thing a lot there you have to i have to like practice exercises to break me out of that and not repeat myself and write the same thing over and over so one thing that's super helpful is just putting a new instrument in front of you especially something like keyboards that i'm not great at i have to uh, fumble around a little bit and makes my hands do new combinations of things and I had this little Casio and I love the limitations of it and the sounds were so uh, uh, just kind of out there so yeah it was I was uh, it was mostly just this little Casio keyboard But yeah, you know, I mentioned Santana and actually just the other day, I mean, I listened to so much Carlos Santana when I was, you know, learning to play guitar and was, was such a big fan of the early work that I heard it to death. I mean, I just almost like couldn't listen to it. Similar to, you know, certain like Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and stuff like that. Yeah. It was like, I've heard it so much that it almost to me started to get old. But just the other day I was driving and, and some stuff came out on the radio like, man, like it so incredible so, such a like amazing uh unique musical moment of all these things he was putting together that i that i relate to a lot you know culturally what he was doing his organ player i think is one of the most impressive uh instrumentalists of that time i forget what his name is but it's just he's just it's crushing it probably uh maybe greg raleigh i think was playing on that stuff uh <clears throat> who lives in austin he lives here in austin now uh yeah, man, adds and it adds so much vibe, so much mood to it. Where do you see yourself like twenty years from now? Like, what would be your ideal situation? Oh uh, man, twenty years from now, hopefully slowing down a little bit and uh, um, soaking things in more. You know, I kind of have an obsessive uh, work ethic that like and you have to like literally yank me away onto the into vacation mode and leave gear behind or i'm going to continue to like get inspired by everything around me so like, like I, but i as much as i love working i love not working but i just like my instinct every day is just hardwired to like wake up and go to work i just can't stop and i love i also 
doesn't suck when you get to do music. You know, I love doing this. It's like my favorite thing to do, but I think it's important to stop and, and uh, just savor the, the rest of what life has to offer. So hopefully, you know, in 20 years, I'll have be at a point where I can uh, savor things a little bit more and be less of a psycho about working on music. You have kids? I do. Yeah. Two kids. Do you have them collaborate yet with dad? Not quite yet. Not quite yet. We did during the pandemic, actually, I uh, would jam with them. They would uh, play bass and keys and sing and I would play drums. And we did we did jam for a little bit during the pandemic. My uh, little one is obsessed with music. Obviously, she's in my genetic bloodline, but um, she does this thing where she shakes her head back and forth almost like Stevie Wonder. It's like it's like her go to move. Mm-hmm. She's been in basically the last several music videos that we've done, you know, partially because it's oh, like, cool. well, she's so cute. Like, how are we, how are we not going to put her in this video? Um, mm-hmm. And I'm like, <laughs> she's not giving consent to be a social media star at this point, but uh, yeah, she's right. more popular than I am at this point. So, you know, I, you know, she's part of the family business, I guess, you know. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully she gets some she gets some money out of that later in life. Yeah. When you make a beat, what is the first thing you start with? Do you do you try to find like a a, a reverb tone? Do you try to find a mostly hit? Mostly drums. Uh I try yeah, I I, I try to change it up, but the thing that inspire that gets an idea going the most is a good is some cool sounding drums is is what i always uh you know i'll try to start on an instrument here and there but i mean it's like getting a finding a, a cool drum pattern a cool drum loop or something to write to is it, it, right away is just like i lock into everything that a drum that a drum beat is doing that's kind of where most of my ideas start how has your library been collected like how does where where are you drawing from oh it's all over the place i everything from vinyl to a lot of it is just really digital i've had i have so many friends that do music that you know have plugged in their hard drive and i've plugged in my hard drive and we've just traded libraries and libraries of sounds and during the pandemic just discovered you know uh all these amazing contemporary producers doing these really cool sound libraries and drum libraries and whatnot and and tapping into that resource you know which i didn't even know that world existed to tell you the truth, but I I've kind of do, uh, dove into the deep end with all that. All right, last question. Any movie from history, they're going to remake the soundtrack. You get to be the musical director. Which movie would it be? I'd say that same uh, French animation I was telling you about, Fantastic Planet. Hmm. Speak it into existence. All right, man. Well, I'm so glad you could uh, come on here. And uh, Jaguar Sound is really cool. And um, Thank you, man. I look forward to seeing what you got in store. Awesome. Appreciate it, man.
Big thanks to Adrian Casada for getting on the line from Austin with me. And uh, you can go to adriancasada.net for his newest record. It's called Jaguar Sound. It just came out, and it's on ATO Records. Also, Boleros Psychedelicos can be found there, too, if you want some Spanish-language goodness in your life, which you definitely do. I try to make a point on my new radio show on 88.5 FM, the SoCal Sound in L.A., to always put some Spanish language or a different type of music on there that people may not experience on uh, mainstream American radio. We have a new time, 7 a.m. on Saturdays, 88.5 FM, the SoCal Sound. This is Way Out West Radio Hour. Please tune in, and all shows are archived now. As always, the show on the road is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Zach Lupiton, and we are part of the BGS Podcast Network. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week on the trail. Hey, music fans. We wanted to let you know about Music on the Mountain, a show that will feature Anders Osborne, Dogs in a Pile, and Saints and Liars. This show will be directly after the Divided Sky Foundation's fun run at 2 p.m. on Saturday, May 18th at the base of Akimo Mountain in Ludlow, Vermont. The show is presented by The Phoenix, a national nonprofit organization offering support to those in recovery and anyone impacted by substance use to celebrate recovery. If you're running in the Divided Sky Foundation's fund run, you'll be automatically registered for the show. It's a family-friendly event, and all proceeds from ticket sales and other donations benefit the Divided Sky Foundation. Visit Music on the Mountain, that's musiconthemtn.com for more info and to get tickets. That's musiconthemtn.com. Hope you enjoy.